It's like on those movies, you know, Outbreak, where you see a red spot that kind of <laughs> just spreads <laughs> all over America. Yes. And this is what's happening with obesity. Every year, the, the, the rates just go up and higher and higher. So it is a true epidemic. And right now, it's considered the number one cause of preventable death in the United States. It used to be wow. smoking. All right, it's time for another episode of Valley Health Check with Horizon Health. And, of course, to get us going with our professional this week, Aaron Frank. Aaron, how you doing? Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having us back. Well, it's always a pleasure, and uh, we encourage listeners to always come back to our podcast page to check out all this wonderful information. And uh, who do we have with us today? Today, I'm pleased to introduce you to Dr. Kasakoff. He's a general surgeon for us at Horizon Health in Paris. Dr. C., pleasure to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you, too, and uh, welcome to everyone who's listening. Well, we're going to talk a little today about bariatrics. Is that right? Yep. That's how we're going to kick things off. All right. Well, I guess the first thing, uh, why don't you explain, what you, are you, you're a general surgeon. Is that right, doctor? Right. I'm a, I'm a general surgeon. We take care of everything that pretty much happens in the belly from gallbladder to appendix emergencies, but we also do surgeries that are not emergency, kind of bariatric surgery, weight loss surgery, anti-reflux surgery, and basically a whole wide range from bumps and lumps on the skin to deep inside the belly, whatever needs to be. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that, that's good. That covers quite a bit of things. So that I, operation I, game is what's in my head. <laughs> is that any, is that what you're thinking of too? The operation game with yeah, the belly. Yeah. I would assume if the doctor sees the nose turn red and blink, that would probably be a, a different concern all That's the way. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, with bariatrics, I would assume that it has to do with weight and, and everything like that. What about obesity? How does that come into play? So, so let's talk about obesity for a second. Right now, we have people talking all over the place about the COVID epidemic that's happening. But there's another epidemic that's obesity. By definition, epidemic means that you have an outgrowing number more than expected of a certain condition, and obesity is definitely uh, goes with that definition. There's Right now, over the country in the United States, about more than a third of people are wow. obese. The other third is overweight, and just the other third is, um, is normal weight, what we call BMI of 20 to 25. Indiana State is about 11th on that ranking, where more than 35% are morbidly obese. So the first thing, and as, as far as the epidemic, you know, I like to show patients... Um, um, or students, when I have, I have Indiana students, um, Indiana University students uh, rotating with me, and I kind of give them a lecture about uh, bariatrics and obesity, and what I show them, a map that through the years, how the prevalence of obesity grows. And it's like on those movies, you know, Outbreak, where you see a red spot that kind of <laughs> just spreads <laughs> all over America, yes. and this is what's happening with obesity. Every year, the, the, the rates just go up and higher and higher. So it is a true epidemic, and right now, it's considered the number one cause of preventable death in the United States. It's used to be wow. smoking, which causes lung cancer, but now obesity causes uh, 280 associated diseases, starting from stroke to heart attack to COPD to asthma to a myriad of diseases. And right now in America, about every year, 340,000 people die from obesity and related diseases. So it's a killer. Wow. Obesity is a killer. And right now, if you're if you're in the ages between 20 and 40, and your BMI is over 40, your life expectancy is shortened by eight years. And if you're BMI goes over 50, that life expectancy goes down by, on average, of 14 years. And for men especially, for men, it's up to almost 20 years of life expectancy reduced 
if their BMI is over 50. So that's obesity is a true disease and it's a killer. So this is why we, we're here to talk about it. Actually, those stats surprised me. And I can only assume that a lot of this is preventable with exercise, taking care of yourself, being more in tune with what you're doing in everyday life. You might not get to a level to where, well, they're talking to you basically yeah. about their issues. Is that fair to say? Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that and, and you brought it up, diet and exercise, because it's part of the medical world uh, kind of almost misconception, also the misconception in the population that, hey, just, uh, you know, a patient comes to the office, they're obese and probably everyone heard it. Uh, you need to lose some weight and you need to do some exercise. Well, we know that diet and exercise fails. And on the long run, more than 98 percent of diets fail. And the, the biggest misconception is that about it's, um, you know, patient's fault. Uh, obese people are lazy. Uh, they just can't shut their mouth. And the misconception comes from, from many places. The biggest, in my opinion, is that we have a trillion dollar industry just trying to sell diets and it's kind of a revolving door. And hey, you lose 30 pounds, you can lose 40 pounds, just do this and just do that. But they don't tell you what happens on the long run. And all the studies show that on the long run, pretty much all diets fail when you go look for, for several years, 5, 10, 15, 20 years on the long run. So that there's this misconception that just do diet and exercise fail. And the reason that diets fail, there's, there's really, we don't really know, but we have some understanding and some theories about it. And, and the three main causes are um, the first thing that happens that when you go on a diet, there's no diet in nature. If, if you're going on a diet, there's basically a famine, a drought, and your brain will tell your body to slow your metabolism down. So if you're an obese patient and you're starting a diet for a couple months, you're taking what we call low energy, low calorie diet. And for those two months, you're at the end of that, your metabolic rate is going to go down by 30%. So you're just not just sitting there having breathing, your heart pumping, walking around, your metabolism is going to go down by almost 30%. So I have a question. Are Is metabolism and metabolic rate the same thing? Kind of, yeah. What we call the basic metabolic rate is called a BMR. It's basically what's your bodily functions, how much calories you're burning just to exist. This okay. is without running. Got it. Got it. This is just sitting, breathing, having your heart pumping, having your cellulars doing metabolism. This is just what we call basic, basic metabolic rate. And that goes down by 30%, almost 30%. The second thing that happens when you go on a diet is we have hormones in our body. The first one we'll talk about is the hunger hormone. The hunger hormone, when, when you have a meal, your hunger hormone goes down. The blood levels go down. Basically, uh, within the hour, they're as lowest as they're going to be. And then after an hour, they start creeping back up. And after a couple of hours, they go up again and up. And at that point, you start looking for your next meal. We have what's called a satiety hormone. There's a, several hormones, not just one. And when you have a meal, the satiety hormones, they actually go up. Now you feel full, you're, you're happy, you're not looking for a meal, and you don't think about it. When you go on a diet, if you go on a diet for a couple of months, your hunger hormone is going to go up. So when you go on a diet, you're going to be hungrier. Right. And your hormone, your satiety hormone is going to go down. So when you go on a diet, you're going to be less full. Now, the, the problem with that is that you're, you're dieting for a couple of months, those effects last for a year. So you're going to diet for a couple of months. For the next year, you're going to be hungrier and less full. And your metabolic rate is going to go down. So, I feel like you're in my brain. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's why it's really hard, and and this is one of the reasons that you know diets fail. The third thing that's really important to talk about is what we call the set point theory. The the classic what people used to think, and and very oversimplification of of how we store energy in our body is staling. Um, this is pretty simple. Everyone heard it. Just uh, consume less calories than what you burn off, and uh, and then you have. That's it. That's all you need to do. You, you burn more yeah. than, than you eat. 
Well, that's not really true. Your, your brain actually controls how much calories your body burns. So if, if you're going to binge over a weekend and have an excess of 10,000 calories, by the end of that weekend, you're not going to gain several pounds. Same thing, if you're going to fast over that weekend, you're not going to eat anything. At the end of the, the weekend, you're not going to lose several pounds. Your weight is pretty much going to be the same. Your brain controls how much energy you're burning off. And to gain weight, all you need is about nine calories a day. So it's basically, you know, a little pretzel, not the big pretzel with right, dip with mustard, right. but all the dry stick pretzel, that's about nine calories. And just that little stick, pretzel a day, those nine calories a day over the course of 15 years, that's 150 pounds. So that's how people slowly and gradually gain weight. And what we talk about, the set point theory is that every time you go on a diet, you know, most people, you know, they kind of fluctuate in the same range of weight. And our brain controls that, that range. When you go on a diet, that set point goes up. So people talk about the yo-yo diet, you know, yes. you, you lose weight, then you go back to where you were, you lose weight and you go back to where you were, yeah. but it's not true. What happens is that you lose 10 pounds, you gain 20, you lose 20 pounds, you gain 30, you lose 30 pounds, you gain 40. And for whatever reason, that set point, your brain is only going up. So, you know, one day they'll find a medicine that they'll bring that set point down and tell your brain to, you know, this is where we want to the weight to be. But until then, this is what's happening. And these are really the three reasons why 90% of diets fail. And, and when we prescribe to patients diet and exercise, why it's not really doing much. Wow, that's interesting. Very interesting stuff there. Now, as we segue talking about diets and, and things, surgery, what would you tell someone? How do you get to that point where surgery should be an option? Right. What, what, what else is in the inter- intermediary there that I need to be considering or, or that I need to be checking off my to-do list um, to know if my endpoint could be surgery? There's a lot of um, kind of bad rep for bariatric surgery or weight loss surgery. Back in the day, and I'm not talking back in the days, about 20, 30 years ago, bariatric surgery has been around since the 1950s, but th- there were about 50 different bariatric procedures. And over the last couple of decades, what people have done, what leaders in this, um, um, bariatric surgeon leaders and, and the people that I, I personally work for, and um, we've published a lot of data and trying to optimize the surgery and get it to the point where it's safe and feasible. And right now, bariatric surgery is safer than a hip replacement, is safer than a gallbladder surgery. Wow. So it, it's pretty safe these days. And this took a couple of decades of really narrowing it down and, and optimizing the procedures. So the different procedures. So now there's there's a very standardized way of doing it. If you would have bariatric surgery 20 years ago in different places, it would mean different things, even though they might call it the same, but it would be different. These days, it's very persistent, very consistent, and it's very safe. That's, that's interesting to me to see how mm-hmm. far that has come. And if you are at a crossroads where that might be a decision. Now, do you look at surgery as a last resort? Um, <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's not a last resort. It's a treatment option. And, and I'll give you an example when we talk about diabetes, for example. If your BMI is over 35 and you have uncontrolled diabetes, and people who are diabetic know this, uh, we're looking for what's called the A1C. Mm-hmm. And if, if it's above 7%, then you have what we call uncontrolled diabetes. Now, this is coming from the American Diabetes Association. This is not from a surgical society or anything like that. This is from the American Diabetes Association. That if your BMI is over 35 and you have uncontrolled diabetes, it is recommended you undergo surgery. This is surgery to treat diabetes. There's a high likelihood of uh, curing diabetes with this surgery. So BMI of over 35 and you have uncontrolled diabetes, you should have, you sh- you are recommended to have uh, weight loss surgery. If your BMI is over 40 and you have diabetes and it's controlled, even if it's controlled, but your BMI is over 40, it is recommended that you undergo surgery by the American Diabetes Association. So to, pr- to, to kind of put a point on there, so bariatric surgery is not a last resort. It is a surgery that's safe. It's a surgery to treat diabetes. It's a surgery that we talked in the beginning about the life expectancy 
expectancy. Bariatric surgery is going to give you, you know, if I had, you know, if you're, if you're suffering from cancer and, you, and I tell you I have this chemotherapy, I have this drug that's going to give you three years of your life, would you take it? And this is what surgery will do. It will, right. it will ex- uh, we know that it will increase your life expectancy by at least three years now. We know that not only you're going to have a longer longevity and life expectancy, but your quality of life is going to be much better. You're going to be suffering less from those 280 comorbid diseases that are associated with obesity. You're going to take a lot less medications. You're going to have increased mobility. You're going to go out of your house more um, and you're going to feel better. I I like it when I can learn so much when we have these discussions. And it seems to me that BMI is a very important thing you need to bring into your life as far as to find out where you're at and how you're doing, correct? Yeah, correct. And it's easy to do. It's uh, you just go online, put a BMI calculator or what's my BMI? It it is easy because I did it because I I, I gained quite a bit of weight, but then I lost. But I wanted to see (laughs) where I was at. And, And so my wife checked and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm where I need to be. Mm-hmm. I, there was a small yeah. victory in my head there. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it is important to check. I think BMI does get criticized a lot. It, but what I would say to that is whether, whether you think it is relevant or not relevant, it's a benchmarking tool, right? It's a benchmarking tool for the medical community to right. use as they um, evaluate your risk and um, treatment decisions or treatment options for you. So it, it is important to have an idea of where you stand. One of the, the things that I feel a little bit disadvantaged of that we're on the radio and we have no visual component, but in your office, you have the lady on your wall. Right. I love the lady. <laughs> I don't know if there's like a quick way we could tell people to Google the lady or something, but it is an image of um, like an animation of a lady that highlights what doctor's talking about, those 200, 280. It doesn't go into all the conditions. But, but it's all kind of laid out. But it, it like the- points to things, you know, it points to the brain and talks about if you're having issues with chronic migraine. And then it, hey, that's interesting. And then it points to the, I don't know where's next, the joints well, and, and it, talks about anything, weight. You know, your yeah. urinary, urinary incontinence, yep. um, fertility. When you go to the doctor and you try to get pregnant and it's not working out, the first thing they tell you is lose some weight. So fertility goes up. And I can tell you from, again, my, from my own studies, actually, that um, having weight loss surgery and, and getting pregnant is actually safer. Because when, when you're morbidly obese and you're pregnant, the risks go high. Your risk goes sky high. And when we do surgery, the baby's safe and the mom is safe. So there's actually better outcomes for patients who, who deliver babies, you know, for women to get pregnant after surgery. So they have increased fertility. We talk about fatty liver disease. Right now, the number one cause of liver transplant in America is what we call NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatosis. Basically, it, it means that it's fatty liver disease, as people call it. And it's not related to alcohol or drug or hepatitis C. Right now, fatty liver disease is secondary to obesity and our Western diet, you know, eating all this processed food. This is really the number one cause of liver transplant in America. And what surgery does for that, it, it, it can reverse it, make it better, or even at least if, if someone has liver cirrhosis, it can help halt the progression of the disease if it's really that far advanced. So there's just joint pain, asthma. People don't really correlate asthma and obesity, but the, the, obesity, the, the more obese you are, the higher chances of having asthma. And with the surgery, that goes away, heartburn. Just so many conditions. Again, 280 conditions. Just, yeah. They're just getting, they, either they get resolved like diabetes or they get improved very much. Uh, I, I think what what's uh, amazing to me the different strands of obesity, all the problems it can cause, and and what you can eliminate by taking better care yeah. of yourself and being in a more your BMI in a better place, basically. That's why we do the surgery. We believe in the surgery. It's uh, it's gonna prolong your life, give you a better quality of life, be longer with your family, have more mobility, play around with your kids. That's really one of the main reasons people have the surgeries. Young mothers who want to be around for their kids. All right. So as we're wrapping up talking. about 
about bariatric surgery. What is the next step for someone that's listening and this is something someone wants to maybe take that step? What do they need to do? Yeah, I would I would say a couple of different things. We at Horizon Health, we do offer a free consultation. So you would be seeing um, Dr. C in the office and having the conversation about your case specifically. And if this is this is right with for you, um, you can go to our website. You can do some further investigation there. It is really just, is this going to be something that works for you? And to be clear, that's a step that you can take on your own. There isn't a physician referral required. Well, Dr. C, thank you so much for coming in here. Of course, check our podcast page for segments just like this. You can check out past segments where we talk more in detail about diabetes, the emergency room, some great segments, and it's all with Horizon Health, Valley Health Check. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. And all the listeners, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dr. C and Aaron. This, of course, has been Valley Health Check. And if you want more information, go to myhorizonhealth.org. The next time we talk to Dr. C, we're going to discuss heartburn and what makes someone a candidate for surgery. This has been Valley Health Check. Thanks so much for listening.